Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Well, golf courses are, with some restrictions, going to be able to open up this weekend. Unfortunately, nobody told the weather people. I'm just listening to those reports. Well, you know, on Saturday it's going to be in the 50s, maybe, and you're going to have a wintry mix, and we're going to have rain. And So I guess the bottom line is, no matter what we do, at least with some respects, when it comes to starting to reopen the state, there there's... There's only so much people can do, you know, and if it's going to snow, chances are you're probably not going to be out walking on the golf course. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I, I try it a couple, a couple times a day. I try to send out tweets about things that I, I find to be interesting. Now, if you are a regular listener to this program, you, you know where I stand when it comes to reopening the state, which is the fact that you've got to do it smart but that the governor is not doing it in a smart fashion. That the governor who says, well, okay, we've got this Badger bounce back program, but if you look at it, it's probably going to keep the state closed for months if you look at it and he applies it. And the governor says, well, that this is, I'm just following the, the rules that the president has set forth. No, he's, he's not. And, I mean, I, I've tweeted out and I've sent the notes on these things. My big point has been that if we want to get this state reopened, we need to recognize that there are local hot spots of COVID-19, southeastern Wisconsin being one, but there are large chunks of the state where there is little or no examples of, of coronavirus. There, there's just, there's not. And there hasn't been for a long time. And my objection has been to the one-size-fits-all approach. In other words, the rule that you have for the city of Milwaukee shouldn't necessarily be the same for La Crosse or Eau Claire. It's a big state. We have divergent needs. And by the way, the president's plan allows to re- allows governors and encourages governors to reopen re- the states by regions or, or even by counties, recognizing that urban areas may have a much different approach than, than rural areas. And yet the governor, for whatever reasons, refuses to acknowledge that, and all his criteria for reopening looks at statewide numbers, meaning, in other words, an, an explosion of, of, of COVID-19 cases at the Milwaukee House of Correction can essentially keep Main Street in La Crosse closed down for weeks and weeks and weeks. And that, to me, makes no sense. Well, anyhow, if you follow me again on Twitter at, at Jeff Wagner 620 sent out a, a tweet yesterday. The governors of both New York, now there is not a state in the union that has been hit harder by coronavirus than New York. California is the same way. Now, California hasn't had it as bad as New York has had because even though there's big cities in California, 
you don't have the population density that, that you do in New York. But but California is one of the first places in the country where you had the outbreak of COVID-19. So both the governors of New York and California are out yesterday acknowledging that, you know what, they're, they're considering opening up the state by region. And in particular, and I sent a link to a story in today's Wall Street Journal from the governor of New York, who is saying, look, I, I, I understand I have to look at this. Because what's going on in New York State's a big state. You know, we, you think of New York as New York City. New York State's a, a big state. And, and what he's acknowledging, because he's getting pressure from leaders throughout the rest of the state, saying, you know what, the, the instances of, of coronavirus and the spread of this disease are much different in, say, Buffalo, New York, in the extreme northwest part of the state, than they are in New York City. And so the governor is saying, you know, um, I'm starting to look at this, and what I'm considering doing is is creating what he's talking about as 10 economic development zones throughout the state, and then monitoring those zones and basing the decision on whether and when to reopen and how you reopen, basing it on, on the data that comes from those different zones. So in other words, because you've got a huge outbreak of COVID-19 in Greenwich Village in New York, for example, that, that doesn't mean that, okay, something in you know Cooperstown, New York, hundreds of miles away, that that should necessarily control it. And that's been the point I've been trying to make all along. To me, it is, again, it's just common sense. You need to look at this as a region-by-region situation. And I understand the argument that, well, okay, if you open up Eau Claire, because there's almost no instances of COVID-19 in Eau Claire, that means that some people from Racine might drive up there to go to uh, get their hair cut or something. That, that doesn't make any sense to me in the real world. And I understand people are mobile, but that doesn't make any sense to me as a practical matter. And if that happens, well, okay, then, then you move to Plan B. But in any event, the governors of both New York and California – to a little bit lesser extent, they are now starting to say, you know what, this one-size-fits-all approach that we are apparently wedded to in Wisconsin, well, that that doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. So, I don't know, if you get a chance, pass these stories on to Governor Evers and say, okay, just because you've got a problem at the House of Correction in Milwaukee, why, why why can't you open up that supper club in Lomira? And again, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to the story. When we come back, are we penalizing people for working? It's an interesting story, and I'm going to be curious to get your reaction. I will explain in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> So, very glad to have you with us. Okay, there's no question that what's going on over the course of the last month, month and a half, has had a devastating impact on the economy. You have people who have been asked to take pay cuts. You've had people who have been laid off. You have had people who have been furloughed. And you have businesses that have closed. And one of the big questions is, are some of these businesses going to reopen again? And that's, that's one of the reasons why I think there's a lot of us who 
We want to see it happen just like yesterday. You have to do it safely, but I, I think that you can, can do that, and that's one of the, the pushes. Meanwhile, you've got the real-world impact on people, which is that they suddenly lose their job. And I understand people say, well, folks should have, everybody should have you know, enough money in the bank to, to last them you know, six months or, or whatever. And that's all well and good, and some people do. But for other people, they, they live paycheck to paycheck. And suddenly losing your job, uh, that has a huge impact. And then not knowing if you're going to have a job to come back to, that, that makes it even more of an impact. So one of the things that, that we did as part of the government did as part of the CARES Act is they said, look, we, we want to provide help to people who have been unemployed suddenly. And we want to help them out beyond just the state unemployment comp. Now, the way it works in the, is that is it of course employers pay into the unemployment compensation fund and then what happens is when people lose their jobs as long as it's not because of their fault they can apply for unemployment compensation and they can get a percentage of what it was that they made all right but one of the things you never want to do is you never want to encourage people to be financially incentivized to to not work so that's why Unemployment compensation is like a safety net, but it's not designed to fully replace the amount of money that, that people get. Because you don't, you never, never want, you never want it to be in a situation where somebody says, "Well, why, why should I be working when I can make as much or almost as much money by seeing on unemployment comp?" That's that happened to an extent 10, 12 years ago when we were in the Great Recession. And if you will recall, we had lots and lots of people who lost their jobs. And, and we were trying to figure out there weren't jobs to replace them. You know, there was this employers just weren't hiring and all that type of stuff. So the government kept either through the federal government or the state government, and it varied from state to state, extending and extending unemployment comp. And what happened is there were a percentage of people and, you know, you can argue about whether it was 10% or 20% or 40% or whatever. There were a percentage of people who made the calculation that said, you know, I can go to work and I can make $620 at, at work by, by working five days a week and I'm going to be taxed on that. Or I can stay at home and I can make $420. And the, the, the calculation that at least some people made was, hey, I'm not getting as much money, but I'd still, I'd rather kind of stay home and not work than go to work and not make that much more money. And so what happened is that you found, and you found this pretty much across the country, was for, for those, that group of people, the folks who wanted to linger, it, it wasn't until the unemployment comp ran out that then suddenly people ended up going back to work. Well, we don't have that situation, but we have something even more interesting that's developed. Let me share with you a piece that is in today's Wall Street Journal, the opinion section. Um, here, here's what the headline says. Our restaurants can't reopen until August. And when I saw that headline, I thought, okay, is this somebody that's going to be complaining about the government rules? That, that, okay, the government's making them close till August. But then when I started to read it, it was different. Um, employees, this is what it says, refuse to return to work as long as they're getting an extra $600 a week. Now, what this letter is talking about is that as part of the CARES program, people still get their regular unemployment compensation through the state. On top of that, everybody who is unemployed 
gets an extra $600 a week from the federal government. All right, here's the letter. Portland, Oregon. My company works with local chefs to open and operate their restaurants. We are currently a partner in more than 20 of them. We have closed our dining rooms March 15th, two days before the governor mandated we do so, and we had to lay off some 700 employees. We are doing our best to stay alive by providing takeout and delivery service at about half our restaurants. Our goal is to survive until we are allowed to reopen. Although our limited operations leave us at only 30% of our usual revenue, takeout and delivery has worked better than expected at most locations. After two weeks of getting the systems in place and understanding the challenges of a different business model, we realized that we needed to hire some of our staff back to help with the demand. That proved harder than we expected. And here's where it gets interesting. The, the people say, we started making calls last week, just as our furloughed employees began receiving weekly federal pandemic unemployment compensation checks of $600 under the CARES Act. When we asked our employees to come back, almost all said, no thanks, because if they return to work, they'll have to take a pay cut. The starting wage for a line cook in one of our restaurants is $15 an hour. These cooks receive at least a dollar an hour in tips, so at a minimum they make $16 an hour or $640 a week before taxes for a 40-hour week. The overwhelming majority of our laid-off cooks qualified for Oregon unemployment compensation of 1.25% of their annual gross weekly wages, or $416 in my example. So the difference is... Normally, they'd make 640 Unemployment, they only get $416. So the person says that extra $225 a week provides a strong incentive to return to work. But as of this week, that same employee receives $1,016 a week, meaning the 416 bucks from unemployment and the extra $600 from the federal government. So as of this week, that same employee receives $1,016 a week or $376 more than he made as a full-time employee. Why on earth would he want to come back to work? This has had the perverse effect of making it impossible for us to hire enough people, even for our limited takeout and delivery business, at a time of rapidly rising unemployment. It will be an even bigger problem once we are allowed to reopen our dining rooms, and it will persist at least until July 31st when the unemployment bonus expires. I'd have to offer my cooks $25.40 an hour to match what the government is paying them not to work. The Trump administration is talking about setting a timeline for when the country can open for business. For my business, Congress has already locked down the date. We plan to open our dining rooms on August 1st once the government stops paying people $15 an hour on top of standard unemployment compensation to stay home. Huh. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have we created a disincentive for people to go to work at least in the next couple months. And again, I understand the, the idea that you want to help people out, but if we are paying people substantially more money to stay at home, all right, have we given people a disincentive to go to work? And, and here's the other thing that, that's kind of out there that people are talking about, have we created an incentive I don't know, for people to leave the jobs that they are doing now, especially if they're in those lower-paid groups. 
All right, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this example, one of the big differences would be benefits, and I assume that they're not offering much by way of benefits for these line cooks because benefits could kind of change the equation, people going back to work for benefits. But just on the dollar-per-hour thing, we are paying people, at least in some examples, more money to stay home. In some cases, lots more money to stay home than go back to work. Does that make sense? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and is it a problem? And will it be a problem? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Southeastern Wisconsin is open for business. During these unprecedented times, it's more important than ever to support local businesses. Head to WTMJ.com right now, and you'll find a We're Open link on the homepage. You will see a list of businesses in the community where your family, friends, and neighbors are open for business. If you are a business owner, you can head to WTMJ.com and add your business as well. Open for business from WTMJ. I'm this is an initiative that, that management came up with and our marketing people and our salespeople came up with. It's absolutely outstanding, and it's a way of just showing you if you want to support local businesses and you want to find their hours and find out about them, again, WTMJ.com, and check the Open for Business area. Now, I, I just I want to share with you uh, just an email I, I got to, that raises this point. And like I say to the people who are texting, you are right. When it comes to unemployment insurance, normally you can't refuse employment. The the CARES Act, though, now made a modification, at least to the federal law. And like I say, it it says that um, your qualifications, if an individual has quit, I'm quoting now, if an individual has to quit his or her job as a direct result of COVID-19, they also qualify. And so, like, the analysis I'm looking at says, you know, if, if somebody says, hey, I've got a reasonable, credible fear that I might catch COVID-19 on the job, you might you might now qualify. And again, how that's going to play out and interact with state unemployment laws, I, I don't know. But at least in many areas of the country, we have now created this sort of perverse situation where people are going to make dramatically more money, at least for the next couple months, for, for not working than for working. And I, I don't know what exactly the answer is, other than to say, I think that you have to have a system where you can't incentivize people not working. And if somebody has a job option and you're offered that job, you, in order to qualify for unemployment benefits, you should be legitimately unemployed, not not have the option of taking a job or not. But that's... That's just me. Here's a text I got. Jeff, a close friend of mine is now down to four employees because they all claimed they were afraid of getting the virus, and they are now collecting over $1,000 a week. He's busier than ever, and he has no workers. So, I mean, that's an issue that, that is out there. All right. There have been a number of, of protests about people who think that the lockdowns have been unreasonable or that we need to start reopening the state, et cetera, et cetera. 
My, my position on these has been, if you go out and you engage in one of these protests, for, the, for goodness sakes, be smart. And, and I, I saw some of these photos of people who are you know, standing side by side in close quarters, and I'm thinking, you know, really? I, I also, there was one picture of some idiot who shows up with a Confederate flag, and I'm like, really? All right, but I mean, at the same time, I, I think that, you know, this country, we have this thing called the First Amendment, and there is a legitimate right, people should have a legitimate right to engage in peaceful protest. And there, there's this whole balancing that, that goes on. Well, okay, there was a rally that was scheduled to be held or is scheduled to be held in Madison on Friday. The organizers applied for a permit, and authorities in Madison denied the, the permit uh, because they said the Department of Health Services, their safer-at-home order, says the permit is being denied because the safer-at-home order essentially says, you know, stay at home. Don't, don't go out. Don't go out in groups. So they're denying the group the right to protest, to, to, to gather. So they say, no, we're not going to allow this. In Milwaukee yesterday, the Common Council, with, with what happened in Brookfield in mind, passed a, a new ordinance which allows citations to be issued to people purposely violating the state's safer-at-home order. So in other words, you can get a fine of up to $500, and you would be, I presume, subject to arrest. And, and just so we're, we're clear, the people, at least some on the Common Council, specifically intended to prevent protest. For example, I'm looking at the, the story in the Journal Sentinel, and they quote Alderman Shantia Lewis, who said she offered an amendment spe- specifying that the city wants to maintain a full range of import enforcement options, and says that the safer-at-home message has been communicated, and the warning is out there. So there should be a level of consequence for those who choose to ignore it. She specifically referenced protesters who gathered over the weekend in Brookfield. Um, She says, look, I I think there's a difference between people who are leaving their homes to check on ailing family members who shouldn't be arrested and those protesting. All right. If you're deliberately putting people's lives at risk because you think you're smarter than health officials, smarter than scientists, then guess what? There should be some definite repercussions for you. So at least some people in Milwaukee are making it very clear that, you know, if people go out and they engage in peaceful protest, you assemble, that, that they think that you should be subject to being uh, arrested and cited. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, I, I, I think the Safer at Home standards appropriately should be challenged in court. I have no sympathy at all for some of the bar owners or the tavern owner, some of the tavern owners or some of the gym owners who say that they don't care what the rules say, they're going to reopen anyways. Now, to me, that, that's inappropriate. I don't think you can take the law into your own hands. That's anarchy. But at the same time, all right, the idea that you know you have elected officials that are expressly trying to deny people the right to, to gather to assemble and to engage in peaceful protest. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So if you have 250 people that decide that they are going to gather in northwest Milwaukee this weekend or gather at the Capitol on Friday, should the police come around and either make arrests or start issuing $500 citations? And if they do, what is going to be the practical effect of that? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should police start issuing citations or making arrests 
if people assemble to protest the stay-at-home rules. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, there's protests scheduled for this weekend in Madison. The the state has denied them a right to assemble, saying it would violate safe at home. So you actually have this interesting situation where, you know, you, you have an absolute right to protest, but that's in the Constitution, but the government is saying, well, you don't have a right to uh, publicly assemble and protest because it violates our health orders. All right, what what should control? And Milwaukee just passed the new ordinance, which gives police the authority to issue $500 citations and also make arrests if people were to assemble. So if somebody stages a protest, I don't know, on the Milwaukee-Wauwatosa border, um, should we should we be giving those citations out? 855-616-1620. Tom in Shorewood. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Uh, thanks for taking Hi. my call. I have a daughter who's a hospital uh, uh, a doctor. I have a son and his fiance who are on the front lines as doctors in hospitals. You know, as a lawyer, that you cannot, no one has an absolute right to protest. The state has the right to put reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions on protest. The Democratic National Convention this summer was going to create an entire zone in which protests could not occur. And people can protest. They can get in their cars and do a great big parade and protest. They can go out and be six feet apart and protest. What they can't do is violate the social distancing things. And what they're doing by violating those social distancing rules is they're putting my son, my daughter, his fiance at risk for their lives. This is a you think? Let me ask you this. You, let me ask you this. Do, do you think that, let's say, a thousand people showed up at the state capitol for the sake of argument on the weekend, and they all stayed six feet apart? Do you think they should be able to do that? If they complied, if if they complied with the social distancing requirements, yes. If they're staying away from each other, then uh, they can uh, safely do that. I think that is appropriate. Well, okay. Th- thanks for calling. I didn't for see a, that at Brookfield no, at all. I didn't see that no, at Brookfield I, no, at all. I, I, no, I, I, I understand. Well, no, thanks for calling. And, and by the way, at least the way I understand the safe at home thing, e- even with, with six feet apart, people in groups of larger than 10 or something aren't, aren't supposed to be together. So even if you maintain that distance. So, I mean, you're, you're right. Government can limit time and place. At the same time, th- this is a pretty significant limitation. I guess my question is going to be, as a practical matter, what 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 will happen if you have people that decide that they want? And again, I'm I'm not encouraging the protesters. I, again, I, I, I in many respects I think that's kind of counterproductive to to tell you the truth. I, I think if you want to challenge the governor's authority, what you do is you do what the Republicans are doing. You go to the Supreme Court and you argue that he doesn't have the authority to do what he does. He's doing beyond the middle of May and let the Supreme Court decide on that. I, I mean, I, I guess. I see the protest to me as being somewhat counterproductive. And again, I know I saw the same thing you did when I'm looking at the pictures from from Brookfield and I'm seeing all these people that are standing like shoulder to shoulder and I'm rolling my eyes because even if you're somewhat sympathetic to some of the mission, the things that they're trying to uh, bring across, I think all of us, or at least most of us, recognize that the, the key to moving forward 
is to, to responsibly follow the social distancing sort of thing. I mean, I look, I, I want to get businesses in the state opened up you know, sooner rather than later. But I also recognize that as we're going to do that, we have to do it in in accordance with, again, like the social distancing sort of stuff. So uh, cut down the number of people that are in a particular restaurant, for example. You know, limit it. You know, have people wearing masks, following all those sorts of rules. So when I see the protesters out over the weekend and people are standing shoulder to shoulder, I, I cringe as well. At the same time, like I say, it is kind of interesting that on the one hand we say, okay, we we, you, you have a right to protest. That is a fundamental sort of situation. But now we're going to have the government essentially materially limit your ability to gather in groups. 855-616-1620. Bob in Hartford. Bob, you're on WTMJ. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. I, what do you think? I, you know, I understand the, you know, the safety issues with it. But here's the thing. You know, the Constitution was to protect us from the government doing what they want to do and, and controlling us. We're a free nation. We, we have a right to do that. And what it, if they can stop us from doing that now, what, what's it going to say? They're not just trying to, you know, testing the waters to see what else they can stop, you know. Well, well that, it is my issue with it. No, thanks for the call. I mean, it is. It's that's why I bring it up because I find it to be extremely interesting. Because you know, people people have the the right to protest, and here you have the the government using all right this public safety thing as it, it it's it's kind of a catch twenty two. Yes, you have a right to protest. Citizens have that. That is fundamental in the Constitution, but. Um, because we say there is this public health concern, we're going to take away the right that you have to protest, even though what you're protesting is our action with regard to the public health matter. It, it is kind of a, a catch-22, and it, it's a way that government could stifle protest. Now, like I say, I, I, I am not a fan of this. If people decide that they're going to engage in protests, I, I, I want, I hope, Certainly that you'd see people out there with the masks and maintaining the social distancing. I don't know how practical that is. On the flip side of this, I, I think it's be real interesting to see if um, all of a sudden, you know, you're going to have the police swoop in and either start making arrests or start issuing citations and what the effect of that is going to be. Bottom line of all this is it's unfortunate that we need the protests and, you know, if, if, if the governor would come out with a, a more defined strategy for getting government open sooner, perhaps there wouldn't be a need for the protests at all. I just bring this up because I, I don't know how this whole thing is going to play out. I don't know if anybody's going to show up in Madison. And again, I'm, I'm not encouraging that. I'm not a show up and participate in protest kind of guy. I don't know what it's necessarily going to accomplish, but I am interested in, you know, what happens if you do get people that, that turn up in person are are they going to be hauled off simply not because of anything they've done, just because of their mere presence showing up? And if they are, you know, is that going to make the situation better or worse? Food for thought. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And this is Jeff Wagner, live sporting events. Well, it's been a while for them, but now the NFL Draft is here. It's live, and it's unlike any draft that you have ever seen or heard before. Join WTMJ and 94.5 ESPN for the biggest and best 2020 NFL Draft coverage on the radio. Hear from Packers legend Mark Tauscher, voice of the green and gold, Wayne Larravee, and many more starting at 6 o'clock on Thursday night. The 2020 NFL Draft Show presented by Professional Construction, Inc., Palermo's Pizza, White Claw, and Wisconsin on 
demand. Number of you are texting, and again, it, it's just it's it's interesting and the irony. For example, remember in the city of Milwaukee when a number of years ago we, we had all the protests that surrounded the Dontre Hamilton shooting and and if you don't remember that you had groups of people that assembled and then what they would do is they would you know march through the streets and they would tie up traffic and block traffic and things like that and the Milwaukee police made the intentional decision to let it go they, they didn't want to confront the protesters, even though there were all sorts of, of laws or ordinances that were being violated. They made the intentional decision that, look, we don't want to make the matters worse, and there, there's not violence that's going on. It's peaceful protest. We're going to allow it to continue. And they allowed it to continue. And, you know, you, I mean, people can argue about whether it was ultimately the right decision or not, but it was the decision that the police made. So now, and again, I don't know any protest scheduled for, for Milwaukee, but wouldn't it be interesting if, you know, you had these and, and you have, you know, some of the older people are saying, well, we need these ordinances to to crack down on this type of protest. I'm, I'm just I'm wondering how this this all goes. Hopefully, common sense will prevail. Do I do I think protesters gathering together, especially if they are implementing and following, again, the, the social distancing sort of thing, which they should be doing because we all want to be safe. Do I think that the idea of police pulling up and, and rousting people, protesting the fact that they've been ordered not to come together to protest, do I think that would be a good image? And my answer would be um, no. All right, coming up in the next hour of the program, another one bites the dust. The Common Council of Milwaukee decides to make it easier to vote. I will tell you what I think of it, and it might surprise some of you. And we were all told there was going to be a spike. It doesn't look like it's happening. Why could that be? All that's coming up. Please don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. You know, we, we all talk about when, when is the government going to allow us to get back to normal and when are we going to be allowed to, you know, go into different shops and go get haircuts and things like that. And, and, and that's that's all a really interesting question, and I mean, I think it's appropriate. But there is, of course, a flip side, and, and this can't be lost in this, and, and it's the important thing to keep in mind when we start the, the formal recovery, and that is that even if government lets us do it, doesn't mean that, that people are going to do it. And I guess I'm, I'm looking at this story today. Uh, there's a lot of industries that have been absolutely devastated by the, the whole coronavirus concern. And, it, and it's not just because government says, okay, this business has to close and you're an essential business and you're not. It's just because the demand for what that business is offering has completely and totally dried up. Okay, Delta Airlines, which is you know, one of, if not the leading air carrier in, in the United States. And, and Delta is still allowed to fly. Don't Delta is still allowed to fly. I was, But at the same time, people aren't flying. Delta announced today that um, they're looking at, at their revenue during um, April through June, so the, the second quarter of the year. And that's that tends to be a really, really big time for airlines because you've got like the spring break travel that, that's going on and you have a lot of people that are starting summer vacation travel. But anyhow, April through June, second quarter is, is big. Um, they estimate 
that their revenue year to year is going to plummet 90%, from last year to this year. And, and again, it's, there, there are certain government restrictions on travel and international travel and all, but, but that's, that's not what's really going on. It, it used to be that, I mean, can I see a show of hands for anybody who's flown a few times in the last year? I mean, I cannot remember the last time that I was on an airplane that wasn't, if not completely full, 98% full. That whole dynamic has changed because regardless of the government travel restrictions, people just flat out aren't traveling. Why? Because, well, I think, you know, you've got all these shelter-at-home things that are discouraging people from, from going out. But even if you, you do go out, you know, there, there's once you get to where you're going, there's nothing to do. Why, why fly on spring break to Disney World in Orlando? Why travel to Orlando when Disney World isn't open? Or why, hey, you want to go to Las Vegas? Well, okay, the, the casinos are all closed in Las Vegas. That, that's just the reality. So people aren't flying. But there's also, I think, this concern that, that a lot of us have, and my, myself included, about you know, going into you know, large groups until we have a handle on this whole coronavirus thing. So in any event, uh, like I say, Delta is estimating that they are, at the tail end of the first quarter, they are going to take a pre-tax loss of, get this, 2.1, B as in billion dollars, 2.1 billion dollars. Um, and, and what they say is, look, it's, it's just there are no passengers. There are effectively no passengers. Flights within the U.S., now this isn't just on Delta, flights within the U.S. over the last week have averaged 12 passengers each. 12 passengers each. And there are already 75% fewer flights than is typical. I mean, this, it is just, it is stunning, you know, what has happened in the period of, of just a, a month. So people aren't flying. And like I say, you can wave a magic wand and say, okay, we're going to let stuff reopen and all that. But the truth is, people aren't going to be jumping on and flying regardless. So it's, you, you want to talk about an industry, I, you, how does it end up coming back? I just, I, I, I don't know. Do I think that airlines are going to go under? Well, maybe some smaller ones might. I think what you're going to see, though, is a dramatically revamped idea of airlines. And when we start to want to travel, don't be surprised if there's lots, lots fewer flights and lots, lots fewer options that are out there as airlines respond to demand. But, I mean, 90%, 90% drop in a year, just absolutely staggering. All right. I have a why question for you. And, and and it is it, it may be a tad premature, but but I, I think it, it's fair. The election that we held in Wisconsin with all the controversy and all was two weeks ago. Two weeks and one day. It was April seventh, today is, is Wednesday the twenty second. So two weeks and, and one day. We were one of the concerns that people had was that if you have this in person election you are going to see a huge spike in the number of COVID-19 cases, just just a huge spike. And you, you had a lot of the rhetoric that was out there saying, okay, this is we're endangering people's lives and we're going to do, undo all the good stuff we did, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, that, that was it. Typically, it, it takes about two weeks for the – 
for the symptoms to emerge. You know, it, at least it can take up to two weeks. So it's now been two weeks and, and one day. And it's interesting because two weeks and one day after the election, there's no substantial evidence at all of, of a spike. Now, I understand, like the, the city of Milwaukee was saying, they, they believe that they have seven cases that they believe can be attributed to the, the election, and there, there'll probably be more, but, but that's, that, that's not like you, you have hundreds or thousands. Dane County reported 17 new cases Monday. And some people were saying, okay, well, maybe this is the election, you know, people doing the in-person voting. And the truth of it was not really because almost all of those cases were cases that, that came out of, you know, one of the jails. In, in Brown County, there was a surge, but almost all of their new cases came from a, a meatpacking plant in, in Green Bay. So the, the communities, even the communities that have seen a growth, it doesn't appear that any of this, or at least any significant number, is is election-related. Now, I understand that that can change a little bit. You can get some more people that, you know, test positive, and maybe you can tie it back to some form of in-person voting. But, but as a general rule, at least so far, 15 days after the election, you have not seen a huge spike in COVID-19 cases. I'm not saying there are none, but you haven't seen this huge spike. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Why do you think this is? Now, I've got a couple theories, but I'm curious as to, to, to why. And if you want to say, no, I'm convinced we're going to see thousands more, and it's just it, it hasn't hit yet, and we don't have all that testing, okay, you, you can make that argument. But I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think if you were going to see huge spikes, you would have already seen indicators of those, and, and we're not yet. And, and that's a good thing, by the way. But why is it? Why is it if this turns out not to be th- this huge thing where lots and lots, I mean, I'm talking, you know, hundreds or thousands of people, you know, came down with this because they might have stood in line to vote. What, why, why do you think that would be? And does it tell us something about maybe the way out of this mess? My question is why? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If these numbers don't surge, and they haven't surged in, in the last 15 days, why do you think that might be? We'll discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, I don't want to discuss the wisdom of whether we should have had in-person voting or delayed the election. That, that's, that's not my point. My point is that 15 days after the election, we are not seeing any evidence of a spike in the number of coronavirus cases um, from 15 days ago. So I, I, there how you can tie that in. In Milwaukee County, I think they say they had, they had seven people, and th- their evidence is, hey, they voted in the election, and now they have coronavirus. Okay, well, that's, I, how, I don't know that it's fair to say that, that that was attributable to that. But in general, we haven't seen the spikes. And my question is, why, why is that, and what does that tell us moving forward, perhaps? Bob in Milwaukee. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. What do you th- what assuming that we don't see this huge surge, which I guess is still possible, but it, it hasn't happened yet, what might that tell us moving forward? 
Well, I think it tells you two things. First of all, I think the alleged risk of the in-person voting was somewhat overblown. But no matter what you think of their thoughts two weeks ago, clearly there were tons of precautionary measures taken. Everybody did their best to keep their distance. The poll workers wore masks. They didn't even do things like share pens. People were very, very cautious about how they proceeded, which to me means taking that to its logical extension, someone should tell Governor Evers that you could do the same thing in a restaurant that's at 50% capacity or a movie theater and start opening the state again and stop bankrupting people in the state by taking safe, logical, precautionary measures rather than being reactionary. Bob, you got it in one. <laughs> no, th- thanks for the call. I, I appreciate it. No, I guess, see, that, that is my takeaway of this a- as well. What, what we did on Election Day is, is we took precautions. Again, I don't want to argue the merits of should people have had to wait in line and all that sort of stuff. That's a whole different story. But what, assuming that we do not see some huge surge, and we haven't in the last 15 days, what that tells me is that people in general are taking this seriously and can continue to be trusted to take this stuff seriously. Like I say, I mean, the, if you look at, you know, where the growth was, in, in the, even in the last couple of days, Milwaukee County, you had an outbreak at the county jail. Dane County, you had an outbreak at uh, the, the, one of the prison facilities. And then in, uh, in Green Bay, you had an outbreak at one of the meatpacking things. It, it's not tied to the elections. And why is that? It's because people were smart authorities were responsible we maintained the social distancing you know a lot of people showed up they were wearing the masks we had this different context that tells me that that we can do this that we can trust the people of wisconsin not to be irresponsible and i'm not suggesting that there might not be some people that that are going to be irresponsible but we were told oh my god it's going to be this huge spike and and so far, it hasn't. And again, I, I acknowledge that maybe, you know, maybe that can change, but I'm just saying you would have thought that if we were going to have seen that, you would have seen it, you know, by now, or at least started to see indications of it, and, and, and we're not. It appears that we got through the in-person election, regardless of whether you think we should have done an in-person election, without seeing this huge spike. And I think it's because people are, are, are being smart about it. I, I don't go to the store that much, but when I do, I would now guess that I probably see 70% of the people that, that are, are wearing masks. And I would say there's like 98% of the people that are practicing kind of the social distancing. And, and I think, again, I, I think we can trust people as a general rule to do the, the right thing. Um, okay, let's go to just a couple texts here and a couple emails. Um, Jeff, I'm all about social distancing and being safe. The media and others need to look at the result of the election. At the moment, it seems really clear that with safe social distancing, there was no significant impact for having tens of thousands of people out and about due to the election. This is a a really important data point. To which I say, yeah, Jeff, Election Day might be perceived. Uh, Jeff, I wonder if we can infer from the lack of a big spike in COVID-19 infections from in-person voting that reopening Wisconsin might be less problematic, risky than some people fear. Election Day may be perceived as a test run for um, for voting. Um, Let's see. Uh, Jeff, your, your first caller, Bob, nailed it. Jeff, I feel precautions taken at the polls did the job. 
Well done. Yeah. Jeff, um, we did not have any positive, uh, huge spikes of COVID ID patients after Easter either. Um, yes. Um, I see again, I, I, I think that you've got a lot of that stuff that, that is going on. Jeff, possibly transmission is controlled in a distance environment. Perhaps the change in weather is slowing the spread. Feels like the worst of the outbreaks happen inside closed settings like nursing homes, church services, I would add prisons. Perhaps the measures we took really work. Masks, hand sanitizers, etc. Right. That's what I think, you know, you've got seeing that that's going on now. Um, Jeff, thank God we're not seeing the huge spike in inspection infection rates due to the election. Does this show that keeping things well disinfected in between voters really does work to prevent the spread? Does this show that it would be safer than we think to start gradually opening up non-essential businesses as long as they follow good cleaning cleaning protocols? Um, yes, yes. Um, I, I think that you've got this there. So, um, Jeff, I think this is why we should just reopen. Well, I don't know that it's evidence that we should just reopen, but it is perhaps evidence that what we should do is consider that maybe we can reopen and it won't be as dangerous as some people might think if we do it smart. David and Mequon. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, thanks for taking my call, Jeff. Uh, really quickly, <laughs> I understand that the numbers... Uh, since the election, the actual number of reported uh, new cases has actually gone down since the election, with the exception of Brown County, and that's due to the meatpacking plant that's up there, right. that I guess where it's uh, spread around right. uh, pretty uh, right. rapidly. They had an outbreak but, at the meat plant. Right. right, right. But other than that, I agree with you, Jeff. I mean, if you follow the social distancing, uh, you wear a face mask, you wash your hands, um, there's no reason why uh, we can't slow down the spread of this without it getting out of control. I mean, it's it's. I think the way the voting, uh, the way I was set up, was was good in the fact that you're right. They had a lot of things to keep it sanitary, and they also had you know the social distancing in place. And um, you know, if it was if it was out of control. You would see that throughout all the counties, not just Milwaukee right. County, uh, because right. you have in-voting person, obviously, in every county. And some counties right. have yet to even report. I think we still have seven counties. They've yet to even report one case. So Yeah, and, uh, and 25 counties that had no increase from one week to another. Now we'll look again. Hey, thanks for the call, David. I mean, again, I, I'm, I'm just trying to offer roadmaps because I think sometimes what we do is, is we get we get caught up in okay well how many cases did you have in in the state you know from one day to another and there is a certain relevance of that but i, I think you have to look behind the the numbers and you have to say okay what, what's going on gee we had an outbreak at a couple prisons and you had this one thing at this meat plant where everybody's side to by side and, and, and maybe in fact maybe later on the program we'll, we'll talk about what you do about that if there's anything you can do but but you, you've got that you've got to really look to me beyond the raw numbers and you've got to look at what's happened and what the the data is and again even even when you see these numbers about how you attribute it to the election, that's it's like, well, okay, people voted, and so now they've been diagnosed with it. Well, so is it fair to say, okay, this means that it had to be that you got it from standing in line to vote? Well, okay, I, I don't know how you can make that assumption, but even with that, you haven't seen this huge surge in the state. And again, I, I only offer this as a theory that maybe it means that, 
some of this other stuff that we're doing, the, the social distancing that we that we do on our own and we do in a voluntary fashion, maybe that's the key to getting us closer to back to normal. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This is something really cool that that my colleague Steve Scafidi does through WTMJ, and we're doing it again. There are heroes among us who run towards danger rather than run away from it. We call them first responders. WTMJ is partnering with Waterstone Bank, General Communications, and the Packing House to honor police officers, firefighters, health care providers, and countless others who work every day to protect our families and our loved ones. If you know a first responder that deserves recognition for their duties, go to WTMJ.com. We're very proud to bring back Steve Scafidi's Salute to Service on WTMJ. All right, it appears like we are losing the summer to coronavirus. Uh, the NBA, of course, was, was put on hold, and who knows if that's going to be back in any sort of form. You know, we should have been normally, you know, going on a month into the baseball season. Uh, if there is a baseball season, and a lot of us hope there is, it, it's, it's not going to be crowds pouring back into Miller Park. It's going to be, I don't know, games made for television maybe in, in Arizona. Now, that's still going to be cool if they do that, but it's not going to be like we thought. And you've seen one event after another simply beyond the world of sports. I mean, Wimbledon's been canceled. Golf tournaments have been canceled or delayed. Events are just falling right and left. Summerfest kicked back from June to early July into September. And then you've had a number of ethnic festivals, all of which you know, typically would draw you know, over 100,000 people. Um, German Fest canceled for the year. Festa Italiana canceled for the year. And yesterday, Irish Fest. And this was going to be the 40th anniversary of Irish Fest. Irish Fest announcing that they were canceling for the year. Here's a part of the statement that they put out. After much discussion, monitoring, and studying the ever-evolving COVID-19 situation, we have made the difficult decision to cancel this year's Milwaukee Irish Fest. The decision was made now to help mitigate the growing challenges of the significant planning and upfront logistics required to successfully execute the festival. Let me stop there. In other words, that, that's true. I mean, it's not like you just flip a switch and these festivals go on. You have to line up sponsors. You have to line up volunteers. You have to do all this stuff, and it's very difficult to, to do this in conjunction with what's going on in the world now, which is why the Democratic National Convention becomes more and more problematic. The DNC is supposed to be essentially the same time as Irish Fest. Anyhow, their statement continues. Milwaukee Irish Fest, which is the world's largest Irish music festival, was scheduled for August 13th to 16th at the Henry Meyer Festival Park on Milwaukee's lakefront. Based on information we have been able to gleam up to this point, we feel it will be concerning for large group gatherings such as our 100,000-plus attendees to be able to come together safely in August. Your health and welfare are our number one priority, and we want to play our part in keeping everyone safe. And then it goes on to say if you purchased online tickets, you'll receive an email in the next few days telling you what you can do uh, about this. We miss seeing everyone celebrate Irish culture together. Look forward to returning to the lake front um in august of, of 2021 but but they're you know making the decision saying okay first of all from a logistics standpoint 
it's just too difficult to pull this off. Secondly, you know, from a, a safety perspective, we just don't know what it's it's going to look like. And and while it's unsaid, but but I think it, it's implicit in this is how will people feel a, about that? And the, the question is, you know, from the perspective of potential attendees, you know, if, if they had gone ahead and had the event in, in mid-August, would would people have felt comfortable, you know, going down to to the lakefront and sitting at the picnic benches and sitting, you know, on the on the bleachers, you know, watching the entertainment and standing in line, you know, five deep at the beer stands to get beer. And I think one of the unspoken things is, is they're looking at this. I think they're just saying, hey, look, even if we had this, I think people would be concerned enough about their safety that I think lots of people would not come. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this is in no way, a shape, or form a, a criticism of the decision that Irish Fest organizers made, similar to the ones that German Fest organizers or Fest Italiana made. I think, I think it's a rational and realistic thing. And I think that by mid-August, there's still going to be a large number of people who are going to feel uncomfortable going out into crowds. I mean, I'm not talking about you know, a situation where you've got a handful of people that are going to be going into a restaurant or something like that. I think you know that's going to work itself out. But the idea of, hey, let's go down to the lakefront and let's stand shoulder to shoulder with fifteen or 20,000 of our best new friends, I, I just think... I don't think people are going to be ready to do that anytime soon. And what that means for, okay, State Fair, which is end of July, which is actually before Irish Fest or during the same time as Irish Fest, what that means for State Fair, I I don't know, but it doesn't seem to me it bodes well. Um, What it means for even some events into the fall. We had a sports report on the Ryder Cup, which is supposed to be up at Whistling Straits in um, September. And they're talking about, well, if if we have it, you know, maybe we're going to have it without fans. Huh. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you think there's going to be a point in time this summer where you are going to feel comfortable attending an outdoor festival or an event where you're, you're going to be there with 20,000, Strangers, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My my answer is a lot of people are just going to flat out say no, which does not bode well for outdoor festivals. It doesn't bode well for Fourth of July events. I mean, I, I think more and more, not because of government rules, but just because of the way I think people are going to think about things, I, I think we're looking at a lost summer in 2021, at least as far as, the, the outdoor events that we typically attend in large groups. All right, would, would you feel comfortable going to a, a huge event at the lakefront or going to a huge event at some park or somewhere else? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line with um, Irish Fest announcing its cancellation in mid-August, which is 
the same time when the Democratic National Convention is supposed to be here. Here's the name. Jeff, the only remaining large Wisconsin summer events now left are the EAA Air Venture, July 20th to 26th, State Fair on the 6th to 16th of August, and Summerfest in September. Sadly, prospects for all not good. And don't forget, the State Fair Expo Center is right now an expensive overflow hospital. That's true. Jeff, I would feel comfortable going out right now. Jeff, I would go, but I'd back off and I'd remain aware. Um, Jeff, absolutely, I would venture out. Can't wait. All right. Um, Jeff, here's what I'm gathering from friends and family. I'll be at not tested. Most feel that they've got COVID-19 or at least had symptoms close enough in January to March and have little fear of contracting this yet again. So why not head to a festival? Well, I mean, that's... That's, that's the issue that, that's out there. Again, this isn't government one way or the other. It's what will people do, because that's going to inform whether people feel comfortable being in large groups. Let's talk to Chad in Elkhart Lake. Chad, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, yeah, I was just telling your, your screener, uh, my wife and I are season ticket holders for uh, the Packers at Lambeau Field, and it's been a topic of discussion for her and I. Um, you know, there, there's been a delay in having to pay our, our season ticket money this year because of the, the virus. Um, right. But we've had that discussion, and we've owned our season tickets for 35 years. And is it time to give them up? You know, and I, and I don't want to overreact, but it's been a topic of discussion. Well, and, and I understand it because, okay, the first Packers game you're talking about now September, so that that's a few mm-hmm. months off, but but I get it. I mean, I you know, I, it's funny. I've been having the same thought. I'm not a Packers season ticket holder, but uh, I went to the, the playoff game against Seattle, you know, and you're, I mean, you're, you're crammed onto these benches. You are in about as close quarters as you can possibly imagine, and I, I understand. I mean, it's it's kind of a factor. The, the question becomes, are people going to feel comfortable with doing that, even with masks and all? And I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I, I you know, I, I kind of feel your pain. I've got a partial Brewer season ticket, and and honestly, if they were to say, okay, snap their fingers and say we're going to start playing tomorrow, as much as I love baseball, would would I necessarily say, hey, I want to go and be around forty some thousand people and you know touching the same mustard things and all? And my answer would probably be, if you ask me tomorrow, my answer would probably be no. I don't know how I'm going to feel in September, but it's definitely an issue. I I couldn't agree more, and yep, you don't know what the future holds. Yeah, no, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I mean, but these are these these are these real world things. It's like I say, regardless of, of what the government does, it, it's going to be you know, the, the, the attitudes of, of people. And I again I understand the, these ethnic festivals and I understand where where all these people are coming from because and, and it and it's awful. It's just absolutely awful. I mean, I think of, you know, okay, for, for a lot of us, it, it's the enjoyment of being, of wanting to watch sports and all that. But there, there's, think about the people that, that work at all these places. Think of the ushers and the, the folks that sell the hot dogs and sell the beer and all that type of stuff. I mean, and then the people that sell the beer to the folks that sell the beer in Lambeau Field. It's this huge trickle-down uh, effect. But at the same time, I, I guess... While I've tried not to be somebody who overreacts to the whole idea of coronavirus, and while I believe that we can safely start to reopen the state without putting undue risk on things, at the same time, I I admit it's going to be a long time before 
I'm going to want to be in, in really, really large groups of strangers, and I think it's going to be even a longer time for my wife, Gianni in Montello. Gianni, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. Um, for the last 15 years, uh, I and my guys have been doing uh, beer shows throughout the state, most of them in the southern uh, half of the state, but Milwaukee, Madison, uh, Sheboygan, uh, Merrill, um, right. uh, but, but, uh, I, I don't see, I don't see, um, us doing this. I, a lot of the shows of, I assume are going to be canceled. I don't see us going out and yeah. serving, um, 3000 people shoulder to shoulder, yeah. um, this summer, you know, with, um, with, with this virus yeah. going around. So I think those shows are pretty much canceled. And when, when the bars and restaurants, if, should they reopen, you know, soon, you know, we'll be delivering kegs and that. But as far as these festivals and beer shows, which are a lot of fun, I mean, there's a ton of food, uh, beer, right. entertainment. You gain three yep. pounds when you're there. <laughs> I don't see this happening this summer. I just don't. No, th- thanks for calling. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I mean, this is going to this is going to apply to county fairs. And again, I'm, I'm not urging I'm not urging county fairs to close down. I'm not urging churches to cancel their, their festivals and all. But I, I do think that the part of the new normal is it's going to take a while before <clears throat> the average person feels comfortable. I mean, going to these sort of of events. I mean, right now we're getting used to wearing masks when we go into grocery stores and hardware stores and things like that. I, I mean, 30 days from now or 60 days from now, are, are you going to go to a church festival, you know, wearing wearing a mask or something like that? And isn't that going to kind of defeat the purpose if you're drinking beer or whatever? I'm just saying, as a practical matter, I, I'm afraid we're, we're losing the summer. I, I've been saying this before. The uh, the Fourth of July celebrations. Now they they canceled the one in in Glendale. I just I, I don't see how they're going to occur. I mean, and and I look, I I love the Fourth of July stuff, but you know, can you imagine? Our, we're now sitting here. It's the end of April, so May June. So you're talking ten weeks from now, ballpark. You know, ten weeks from now, can you imagine? I don't know, large groups of people feeling comfortable, a couple hundred thousand people gathering around the lakefront to watch the fireworks, or or you know, a few thousand people, you know, gathering in in various parks on, on the Fourth of July to watch the fireworks. I just I don't see it happening because even if you you stage them, my guess is a lot of people are just going to say no, we're not going. Sue in Cedarburg, Sue, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, well, we were planning on going on a cruise in September for a month, mm-hmm. um, and it started in Barcelona, Spain, and went on down through countries and ended up in Rome. And then starting in Rome, we were going all the way down to Athens. And right. so, Sounds you know, great. we decided, we decided, I, I just don't feel comfortable going. You know, even if it's September, the ship is only 650 people, but still, you know, that's, that's, yeah. uh, still early, I think. But uh, you, your comment about wearing masks, if you go to China, and we were there a year ago, and we spent a whole month in, in China and all over, that's the normal. Everybody yeah. wears masks. So we yeah. may be, I- that may be the normal for a while. I guess I just wonder how does that work at a at a giant festival? How does that work at State Fair or Summerfest where you're, you know, <laughs> where you're wandering around and, and one of the big reasons you go is to drink beer and to eat cream puffs or whatever. You know, can't, can't do that with a mask on. Um, you know. I know. No, th- but in China, yeah. that's that's how it is. Yeah. Everybody does no. it. 
Right. No, thank, thanks for the call. And again, I, I, I appreciate that. And I, I don't, my crystal ball isn't good enough to see that. I mean, I just, I just raised this as an issue. And I think just from, from our mindset moving forward, I, I, I think it is possible to get businesses open and to get people, uh, again, I mean, starting to, to shop and things like that. Uh, I think it's possible to do that in the relatively near future, but for the, these big events, I mean, I'll give you another example. I'm a Vegas guy, right? I mean, I'm, I am a, I love going to Las Vegas. Right now, the casinos are closed, so no reason to go to Las Vegas. Typically, I end up making a trip to Las Vegas every October, the, the end of October. That's kind of one of my annual things. I go there twice a year, generally, sometimes more, but generally twice a year. And I mean, I'm, I have to tell you in the back of my mind, I'm sitting there thinking, all right, now here we are. It's it's the end of April, May, June, July, August, September, October. That's six months. I mean, how am I going to feel six months from now about, you know, flying out to Las Vegas and, you know, taking the cab to the hotel and then being in the hotel where, you know, you're with all sorts of other people? Will there be buffets open? All that type of stuff. You know, what what's it going to look like? And honestly, my answer is I don't know. I, I don't know how I'm going to feel. If you were to say to me, Jeff, the casinos are reopened, you want to go next week, my answer would be, I don't think so. Uh, I'm just, I'm not sure that I, I'm ready for that. Six months from now, don't know. But for the summer of 2020, well, I think this is going to be the summer of the asterisk. And hopefully, hopefully we're all back to normal by next year. All right, back with more in just a couple minutes. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. You know, one final thought of the uh, about how people are going to feel and whether they feel comfortable or not going into to large venues. There's there, there's a new study out. It, it's a recent poll, and I understand you can. You, you can take polls for, for what they worth. I, I get it. But it's the Seton Hall sports poll. And, and they ask people, would you feel safe going back to games? And, again, baseball games, football games, hockey games, basketball games, going back to large sporting events where you're going to be surrounded by thousands and thousands of other people. And I thought it was interesting. 72% of Americans said they would not feel safe attending games until – a vaccine for COVID-19 coronavirus had been developed, 72%. And then when they said, okay, well, how about if you're a hardcore sports fan? Then they tried to delineate, like, the hardcore sports fans, and I would probably be in that category. The number dropped to 61%. But, but still, 6 out of 10 people who identify as sports fans and presumably who, like me, go to games, 6 out of 10 said, we don't feel comfortable going back until they develop a vaccine, which is probably at least a, a year away, if not more than that. Now, hopefully they're going to come up with a treatment that, you know, if, if somebody gets it and develops like symptoms, they can give it to them. But um, about a year. And again, I, I pass this on because, you know, whether it's. 70% or 60% or 50% or 40%, you know, whatever that, that number is, it, it, there's no question in my mind that there's just a large number of people who are going to be reluctant to go back into large crowds, 
you know, for, for the foreseeable future, and whether, it, whether it's there's a treatment or a vaccine or whatever. It, it's just one of the dynamics of modern life right now, which does make me understand when some people say it, it's going to be a long time before we get back to to normal. I mean, we're arguing right now about whether you, you can allow the dog groomer to, to handle, you know, a handful of, of dogs a day or whether, you know, your your hairdresser or your barber can, can go back to work in a limited sort of setting. Uh, imagine the whole dynamic that's going to have to take place before we people feel comfortable going in with thousands of of people. All right, and I did get during the break, I got one interesting text that I, I share with share with you because well it's thought-provoking here's the question jeff when did everybody become such a wuss about getting sick yes compromised people yes elderly people need to take take care of themselves but for the rest of us put your big boy pants on hmm. and and again i I've, I've tried to be kind of balanced on, on this I, I don't think i've been hysterical and I, i've railed at some of what i consider to be the the unreasonable limitations and the refusal so far of the governor to do what seems to me to be smart which is open up the state by regions depending on on where the, these outbreaks are and i think you know that would be a smart approach to this and for the governor for example to say well i'm just following the guidelines the president set down that's just flat out not true because uh, the governor, the, the president's guidelines allows uh, a reopening <clears throat> based on region. So I, I've tried to voice that opinion. At the same time, I don't know, um, you know, when did everybody become a wuss about getting sick? Because here's part of the, the problem. I'm not, for example, personally, do I want to get coronavirus, COVID-19? No, I, I, I don't. Am I particularly concerned that if I get it, it's going to be fatal. No, the, the answer to that is is no. I mean, maybe maybe that's unreasonable, maybe it's irrational, but I I just even though I'm getting towards that age bracket where they say you got to worry, I I don't I'm not I'm not paranoid about that. But here's my big problem because if you get it, you can pass it on, and I am concerned. Last thing I want to do is catch it myself and bring it home to my wife. Or you know, so we're practicing the social distancing. We're doing that sort of stuff. I, I don't want to. I don't want to pass it on to anybody else, which is why, for example, Good Karma has us all working at home. It, it makes perfect sense. They're trying to keep employees safe, and they're trying to make sure that if an employee happens to get it, they don't infect everybody else. It's a common sense. It's a rational thing. I don't think it's being a wuss. I think it's just kind of, of being smart. My point is you can you can take it seriously, and you can still, I, I think, get back to some sense of normal, even though large group gatherings going to be a ways off. Hey, if you thought that your vote didn't matter, we have stories like this almost every election, and it's one of the reasons why I always encourage people to get out and vote. Because I, I know whenever I ask folks, okay, why didn't you vote? They say, well, it, it, it just didn't matter. It didn't make any difference. And sometimes, you know, that's true. Sometimes when you have somebody that wins, you know, big time, you know, it, it doesn't matter. One individual vote doesn't. But you always have the, these stories. Out in Mequon, there was a race for an, an aldermanic race. And, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily matter much one way or the other. But the, the incumbent ended up winning by three votes, three votes out of, you know, how, however many were cast. Now, interestingly, the there were 54, and this is one of the issues that comes with the, these mail-in elections. 
Because even though you have mail-in elections, there are still all sorts of rules that you have to follow. For example, you know, there have to be certifications, etc. There has to be the photo ID, etc. Okay, in this race that was decided by three votes, apparently there were 54 votes that, that, were disc- that weren't even opened up because they had 54 of these ballots came back, but because um, there, there were various problems with them because maybe they, they weren't signed or they weren't postmarked in time or, or whatever, the 54 votes weren't even counted. And so we don't actually even know whether or not, if they had been counted, whether or not it would have changed the outcome of the election or not. But, I mean, here you have an election where you've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who end up voting, and the decision comes down to to three votes. So if you ever think participation doesn't matter and your vote doesn't count, we have stories like this that come from almost every election, every election year, you will have stories like this where the, the bottom line is, yeah, it, it does. And if you're the losing candidate, I, I'm sure you got to be sitting there thinking, God, if I would have done two more doors, banged on two more doors, you know, talked to just two or three more people and they had gotten out and voted, the election would have turned around. So it, it's just, it's why voting is important and it's why your vote does count. Okay. When we come back, speaking of voting, let me tell you what the city of Milwaukee is doing. And my question is going to be, should other places do it? Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text. Jeff, I'm scheduled to get married in September. 150 guests. All my friends say they will come, but I do have elderly family not making a decision to postpone until early June. Uh, the bride and I want everybody to be there. Um, so many couples have had to delay. Uh, yeah, that's you know that that is an issue as as well. Um, I, I know some people who were scheduled to get married in July, early July, I believe, and, and they've now kicked it back to the end of, of August. But these are. These are are just very real concerns that are out there. Hey, it was the crew's first trip to the NLCS in seven years. Miller Park was rocking. Tune in this Wednesday for another Brewers Classic. Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre calls Game 1 of the 2018 NLCS. It's Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers against Brandon Woodruff and the Brewers. Brewers Classic, sponsored by Great Midwest Bank, Drake Camp Heating and Cooling, Boucher Automotive, West Bend Insurance, and Previa. So if you need your fix of baseball, I'm telling you, we give it to you once a week with our Brewers Classic program until we get back to the real thing, which hopefully will be sooner rather than later. All right, earlier in this program, we talked about the the election that was held 15 days ago. And remember, there was all the doom and gloom, and, oh, we're going to kill people, and this is going to see this, this huge surge of COVID cases. And, and thankfully... That, that has turned out not to be the, the case. I think that the numbers, the last numbers I saw is statewide. They're saying, well, we've got 19 reported, 19 reported cases of COVID from people who, who voted. But, but, of course, of that 19, that doesn't mean you got it during the voting process. I mean, that, that, that doesn't mean you, you, you did that. But, but even so, 19 is not the, the, the spike that the people were predicting. And I think that's good news because I think it shows that people took this seriously and that with appropriate social distancing, essentially we can trust people and that, you know, 
people are going to be smart about how they approach things, and maybe that should be inform how we start reopening the state. But nevertheless, this conversation about the what happened with the election has led to this argument about, hey, moving forward in November, and who knows what the world's look, going to look like in November, moving forward this means we should go to mail-only ballots, M-A-I-L, mail-only ballots. We, we should eliminate in-person voting. I could not oppose that more. I, I mean, I think, I think that the ability to go down on Election Day or absentee early vote, I think that that is important. And I, I don't think that virus fears should be enough to say, okay, we're going to take away the ability to vote in person. Having said that, the reality is the, the world is, in fact, changing. And I think you are going to see more and more people electing the option to either vote early absentee in person or alternatively do it by mail. Because I, I know there's people that probably did it the, the first time, this time, felt comfortable with it. And it is an easy way to participate. Now, I want to be real clear with what I'm about to say. I am not in any way, shape, or form in favor of uh, reducing the the requirements, the stuff that you have to do to vote by mail. The fact that there has to be a witness signature, that there has to be a photo ID on file, all those type of things. I think that is important, and I'm not in favor of, of reducing that at all. At the same time, there's a couple local communities, and what they have been doing for the last couple elections is they have been unsolicited sending out applications for absentee ballots to all the registered voters. Now, now these aren't ballots. These are applications for absentee ballots. So what you could do is you could, you know, you get it in the mail, and, and then you send it back, and, and then you, you're off to the races. It's not the ballot per se. And what they've seen in a couple of the communities in Milwaukee County where they've done that is they've seen voter participation has increased because they've taken away one of one of the hoops, just one of the hoops, namely that you have to contact City Hall to request it. They've sent everybody, everybody these, these ballots. Now, you don't need to do it. There's nothing that says you have to, but it makes it a little bit easier. The Milwaukee Common Council yesterday voted unanimously to create a program under which all of the registered voters would receive an application for an absentee ballot in the mail. So then what you could do is you get it in the mail. It just makes it easier. You send back the thing, and they include postage on that. You send back the thing, and then, again, they send you the ballot. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this might surprise some of you. As long as you maintain all the other restrictions, uh, again, you've got to have the witness signature, et cetera, et cetera. I don't have a problem with this because I, if you make it, e- I'm not against making it easier for people to vote. Now, I don't think that you do it all mail. I, I don't think that that's a, a good idea because I think that people should have the right to be able to go down and vote in person. At the same time, though, if this makes it easier for people to request that ballot and therefore participate, you know, what, what's wrong with it? Now, I would not be in favor of just saying, hey, we're going to send everybody ballots because that's a different sort of dynamic because you, you don't know where those ballots are going, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, all they're doing 
is sending out applications for ballots. So you, you still have to apply. I think that limits or substantially reduces the potential for fraud. A couple of the communities, like I say, have been doing this for a while, and I'm not aware of any reports of massive fraud. I think it might be easier to, to do this. And, I, again, if, as long as it's just Milwaukee that's doing this, you, you can argue, okay, this is designed to give you know somebody an advantage. But if more and more, if we started doing this routinely around the state, I think that would get voter participation up. I think the potential for fraud would be would be negligible. Again, as long as you're just sending people, hey, here's the application for the absentee ballot. Fill it out and send it back if you want. And I think, you know, once you got this system developed, it might relieve the stress on courts, on clerks of courts, um, who, at least in this election, and I understand this was an unusual one, who get bombarded at, at the last minute by requests for these early absentee ballots. Okay, let's tee this up. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think this is a bad idea. And, and again, if we were talking about, okay, no in-person voting, I'd feel very different. But, all right, sending people notices saying, hey, if you want to vote early, you want to vote absentee, you know, here's the way you do it. Send this back. Is there anything wrong with that? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I wouldn't oppose it. I, I do think it should be uniform. And I guess if they're going to do it in Milwaukee, I, I think they should be doing it in Mequon, and I think they should be doing it in Green Bay. But right now it's Milwaukee, and it's a couple other places. 855-616-1620. Back with your calls in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. There are heroes among us who run towards danger rather than away from it. We call them first responders. WTMJ is partnering with Waterstone Bank, General Communications, and the Packing House to honor police officers, firefighters, health care providers, and countless others who work every day to protect our families and loved ones. If you know of a first responder that deserves recognition for their duties, go to WTMJ.com. It's Steve Scafidi's salute to service on WTMJ. Jeff, in my opinion, sending out applications will bring about more votes. I think some people are lazy, don't have time, etc., to vote. I, I see. I guess I, I agree. Sending out the absentee applications, it doesn't force people to respond. It doesn't force people to vote. It doesn't eliminate other requirements to prove that you are who you are when you vote. It just starts the process. And I, I guess I think that that's probably a good thing. And it's something that I think, again, you know, the political parties and the politicians and stuff have to figure out and have to recognize that this is one of the new normals, um, that, that you're going to be going to more of a mail-in system. To me, this is the type of thing which is a good compromise. You, you never, I don't believe, ever want to get away with from in-person voting. And my guess is once we get past the coronavirus, you know, concerns, more people are going to return to showing up on Election Day and voting. But if we make it easier for people to vote and we don't substantially open the doors for fraud, why not? This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.